I was remembering a story. It was at uh, my sister-in-law's wedding, and seven, eight years ago. It was in San Francisco. It was in a Greek Orthodox church, actually a beautiful Greek Orthodox church designed by Frank Lloyd Wright with an incredible uh, fresco on the ceiling. Just a marvelous setting for a wedding. And uh, uh, before the wedding started, did all the you know, normal traditional things. And I think sort of picture this scene, the floors, there's no carpet. And so there's no absorption of the sound. So there's a, it's just, the, the acoustics were incredible. And uh, when they walked down, Lisa's my sister-in-law, when they walked down, my mother-in-law, Kyoko, my uh, oldest son walked her down the aisle to seat her. And so she's in this beautiful church, and Kyoko was, I don't know, in her 70s at that time. And um, yeah, she's 85 today, so she's probably in her middle 70s. She's walking down the aisle, beautiful dress with my oldest son. And Jim, my father-in-law, Jim would have, you know, he was in his middle 80s at that time, older guy and good southern drawl and just a great salt-of-the-earth guy. And, uh, you know, so every, of course, everybody's turning around. Jim's turning around watching Kyoko walk down the aisle. And uh, Kyoko comes, sits down in that front pew right in front of us. And Jim just looks at her. And I think he thinks he's being a little more subtle than he is. But the way the sound just reverberated in that church, Jim looked at her again. He's about 80. He's, you know, she's like mid-70s. He's early 80s. He looks at her and he goes, Ma, you're beautiful. Yeah, it's exactly what everybody else did around. I mean, it's like the whole church heard us. This is very endearing moment. And uh, here's an elderly couple, and uh, f- probably far beyond what our culture would regard as beautiful. And it was a moment that uh, people don't forget easily, in a moment where there is a, a, a truth that's being revealed. Today I want to talk to men and women in this third series called America the Broken. We've already dived into some intimate, personal topics, racism, uh, abortion last week. And this one as well is a very personal topic, very personal to me. And it is the way that we see our bodies. It's called body image or body awareness. It's important to me because I won't repeat my story. Many of you know it, but I was overweight very overweight as a child, and that was a, uh, uh, I was an object of, you know, a lot of contempt and scorn because of that and lived through that. Some of you have different stories. Maybe you weren't overweight, but you were too small. Maybe you were too tall. Maybe you were too thin. Maybe, you know, you wore glasses before anybody else. Maybe your teeth weren't straight. Um, Kids and others can find lots of things to point out about our, our bodies that can become difficult and a point of shame for us. And I'm sure you have some stories as well in your own life about body image, body awareness. Um, here's my point 
I'm trying to say it as gently as possible, but, but I think it needs to be said. And it's a sin in America, and I'll try to explain when I think it becomes a sin. But in America, we are obsessed with the body. We have an obsession about the body. We have an obsession to have the perfect body. We have an obsession to fix ourselves. One, in my research, I, one commentator was talking about an ad that he heard in the Florida area. You've heard it. I said all over, I suppose you've heard it. But the ad says, see if I can remember it here. The ad says that um, it's an ad for plastic, plastic surgery. And this ad goes, be the you you remember. Be the you you remember. Now, Telling a woman that she can reclaim her youthful looks is catchy, right? We can agree it's catchy. We can agree it's memorable. But it's also reprehensible. (laughs) No woman who has passed through middle age and beyond is going to look like she did when she graduated. But there's a great deal of money to be made by suggesting that she can and that she should. You think about this. Look at it this way. Think of the amount of resources, the amount of time, the amount of thought that we give to having the perfect body. I've used this analogy before, but I think it's good again to use this. Imagine that you were an alien. For some of you, it's not as hard for others. Imagine you were an alien from a different country. And you come into the United States of America... And you go into one of our great marketplaces, the grocery store. Grocery store is filled with ways of expressing who we are as a people. And you go to the checkout line, and through the checkout line, you read the magazine covers of what Americans are reading and what attracts Americans to buy magazine covers. And what you will find is that we have an obsession with the body, we have an obsession with fitness. We have an obsession with avoiding suffering and avoiding pain. And if you were a traveler from a different country, you would very quickly come to some conclusions about what Americans value. Ironically, I I forgot to mention that ironically, this commentator I don't really know much about this, but this commentator said that facelifts can leave women expressionless or worse, with a perpetual look of surprise. (laughs) But there's no doubt that we can remake our bodies today in virtually any way that we want. We can manipulate the body in almost almost any, any, any way. Let me take a moment and pray, and then we'll take a look at a, this issue a few more. What I want to do this morning simply is um, set up, uh, articulate five um, truths, five lies about this area, and, um, and then look at some scriptures and draw some conclusions, okay? It'll be pretty simple. Father, I... Would guess that, Lord, in a room of this size, there's quite a bit of hurt, quite a
quite a bit of pain, scarring that relates to this area of our bodies. So personal. Father, so vulnerable. And I pray this morning that you would bring a hope of a different way of seeing, a different way of thinking, a different source of beliefs about who we are and about our bodies, what they mean to you. Thank you that your truth sets us free. And I pray there'd be some freedom, some grace that would pour into this room this morning and bringing healing to some wounds that maybe we're conscious of and maybe some wounds we're not even conscious of. We pray these things, ask for these things through Christ. Amen. 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 Again, if, if, let me just share a few more things. If you, if you're having a hard time wrapping your head around if this issue is a, if this is a problem. Let me talk first about women, female body issues, and then just a little bit about men as well. There's a Dove campaign. Have you seen, I'm sure you've seen some of the commercials. There's a Dove Real Beauty campaign. And they're pretty well done, the commercials. Well, they did this social experiment, very intriguing, where they hired a criminal sketch artist, these artists that are really good. And what they did was they brought in these women, this experiment focused on women, and they would have a, the woman sit, but she was blinded. The, the artist could not see her, and they would have the woman describe to the artist what they looked like. Eyes, hair, nose, chin. And the artist would, would write down what he was hearing. Then they would tell this person, hey, we'd like you to go and interact in a very friendly way with these other individuals, which they would do over lunch or over coffee. And then they would bring in this other individual that this person interacted with. They'd have them sit right here, again, blinded to the sketch artist, and they'd have the sketch artist, they had this person describe that same individual, describe their hair, describe their eyes, describe their chin, their nose, and the sketch artist would write this, or draw this caricature of the individual. Then they took these two sketches and placed them side by side and brought each woman back to view the differences in the sketches. And the differences were not small. The differences were pronounced. And what the study clearly revealed is that these women had a perception of themselves that was way beneath and way below the way others viewed and perceived them. Here's the second thing. That's, that's the first thing. Here's the second thing. Again, regarding women. By age six, girls start to express concern about their own weight and shape. Forty to sixty percent of girls ages six to twelve are concerned about their weight, are becoming too fat, and this concern endures through life. Body dissatisfaction, not being 
happy or content or accepting your body, body dissatisfaction is the best known contributor to the development of anorexia and bulimia. The median onset of an eating disorder in adolescence is at 12 to 13 years old. In the U.S., 20 million women do or will suffer from a clinically significant eating disorder sometime in their life. Just think about that number, 20 million. Now, here's one, again, that gets me, this one gets me as well. Look around this room for a moment. Look at the women in this room. And I have a question for you. Seriously, take a look at the, at, at the women in this room. Would you guys say there are a lot, of, and with ladies, would you say there are a lot of beautiful women in this room? Would you not say that? Come on, guys. Yes, yes. Yes, there are a lot of beautiful women. Now, my wife is not here, so the top of the list has been knocked down a little bit, obviously. She was here in the early service. So, you know, but... There are a lot of beautiful women, very beautiful women in this room. Do you know what percent women globally consider themselves, so across the world, what percentage of women consider themselves beautiful? This just blows my mind. I, I can, you can count it on one hand. 4%. 4%. To travesty. To travesty. Beauty is such a key way of seeing ourselves. How about men? This is not just a female issue. This is also a male issue. And what men can get um, caught up in is really two different things. They can get caught up in sort of an obsessiveness about thinness or an obsessiveness in bodybuilding, muscularity, having this perfect physique. As a matter of fact, it's interesting, even the... Uh, um, Wesley Smith brought this uh, up in a First Things article. He, he said it's interesting, even the, even the imagery that we use to describe men's bodybuilding, we call them, you know, let's go back, because I don't want to get this wrong. <laughs> this is not one I want to get wrong. Um, buns of steel. <laughs> abs of iron. Cable-like biceps. Isn't it interesting? He brings out, isn't it interesting the imagery that we use? It it hints at something robot-like, trying to remake ourselves into something superhuman. Now, again, I'm not against, you have to hear me say this several times, I'm not against fitness. I'm not saying I'm against wellness or health or bodybuilding or diet or exercise. What we're talking about here is the obsessiveness. When these things begin to cause us to lose our priorities, and we start pursuing fitness and wellness and exercise and bodybuilding and beauty pursuit to the exclusion of other values and people and priorities. That's when it begins to become a problem and an issue. But in men, when we get into to guys that have high concerns for both thinness and muscularity, they are far more likely than their peers to use drugs. Uh, they are more likely, guys that are preoccupied with muscularity, are more 
prone to commit suicide. They have a poor quality of life. And again, a higher frequency of substance abuse. There's a problem here. There's a problem. And I believe that the problem is, and it's not just the world out there, but it's the church as well. We live out there. Is that we have believed certain lies. There are certain lies that we have believed. Before we turn to those, I want to look at a scripture text and open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. It's page 891 if you use the text in front of you. Very interesting passage. that touches on this subject and gives us some direction on how we can counter these cultural lies regarding what is beauty, what is strength. Philippians chapter 3, let's start at verse 17. This is the Apostle Paul writing to a, a Greek city. He says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Scholars are not sure quite who these enemies are. But we do get some description of them. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. That's an interesting way of saying it. And their glory, their identity, their source for living, the way they view themselves is actually in their shame. And their minds are set on earthly things. The whole trajectory of their life is to find fulfillment here. Now, a couple thoughts on this. I believe what Paul is saying. I do not believe he is speaking only of gluttony here. We might think because of using the word belly that he's referring to or stomach, that he's referring to gluttony. But looking at some other similar passages where Paul uses similar words, I believe he is speaking more broadly. It would encompass gluttony, but it would encompass a whole view of life that is given towards satisfying physical appetites. From a, in the, the Greek world, this philosophy was called hedonism. And in hedonism, the highest goal is pleasure and are avoiding pain. And so these enemies of the cross, the whole trajectory of their life is to satisfy the physical aspect of their life now to the exclusion of cultivating the Spirit, to the exclusion of cultivating the inner life, the character, the virtues of the person. And it's interesting, I I thought about this. When I said, said on earthly things, it reminded me of that story of Jesus and Peter very close to Christ's crucifixion. Do you remember that story? There in that story, Christ is just a few days away, maybe several weeks away from the cross. And he's beginning to think about the cross. And he's beginning to warn his friends that he's going to suffer and die. And at one moment, Peter, who can't 
translate what the Lord is saying? And he's thinking, you are the Son of God. You are the Messiah. Surely you're not going to suffer. And he tells Jesus that. He essentially rebukes him, saying, you're not going to suffer. And then Christ responds back to Peter. And of course, Christ responds just with such such discretion of words and such gentleness. Every word is meant to just empathize and sympathize with Peter, not make him feel too bad. He turned to Peter and he said, get behind me, Satan. (laughs) You are not thinking about God's interests. You are thinking about men's interests. Peter couldn't put together the idea of the Son of God suffering. His mind, his mind was set on earthly, limited, finite fulfillment, while Christ was focused on bringing infinite, eternal, glorious, unending fulfillment. Now it's interesting. Look at the next, very next verse. Paul's still thinking here about the body and physical appetites, and he doesn't say, it's, this is interesting, he doesn't say the body's bad. He doesn't say that physical appetites in and of themselves are bad. He's not saying desire is wrong. There's been a lot of Christian teaching that has taught those things. He doesn't say that. Look at where he goes. He says our citizenship, our identity, our trajectory, our sense of where we will be fulfilled, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform what? Our spirits? Transform this immaterial substance? No. Transform our bodies, our lowly bodies, our finite. Bodies that get sick, bodies that have to eat, bodies that have illness, bodies that suffer, bodies that can't walk straight, bodies that get achy, bodies that break down, bodies that don't work right, that lowly body will be transformed to be like His glorious body. Infinite. Indestructible. Not dependent on food or sleep. Like His glorious body. By the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. So Christ is given by God the authority, the power to transform us on the day of this second, the, the day of the resurrection, the day when Christ returns and brings about the renewal of all things, the restoration of all things, even our bodies. So the, the point is, is that we must view our bodies and view the satisfaction and fulfillment of our physical appetites through the lens of eternity. And if we view them from the lens of eternity and the lens of God's plan and God's work in our lives, then we will keep... It's it's not to the negation of our physical appetites. It's not that they'll all go away or we won't want things, but we will be able to keep them in their appropriate, proper rhythm. The God-ordained, God-designed rhythm for which they were given to us. Okay, let's take a look now at these five different cultural lies. 
I'm going to run through these fairly quickly. But I think they provide a nice framework for us to think about the cultural lies that we're up against in terms of body image and body awareness. And I got these from a very good writer named Jen Wilkin. I was quite encouraged by the things that she said. Again, she's writing this for women, but we're going to twist it so we can apply our we're going to interchange so we can apply it to men as well because it does apply to men. Number one, the first lie is this, is let your body, your body is decorative. Your body should be used to attract the attention of men. Hmm, I wonder if that's pervasive in our culture. Pretty pervasive, isn't it? Again, let me just address men and women alike. The goal for men and women oftentimes in their dress is to make themselves as attractive, including sexually attractive, as possible. That often becomes the goal of how we dress, to become as sexually attractive. And so we wear things as tight as we can. We wear things as short as we can. We reveal as much as we can. And again, this is men and women alike. It's not what our bodies were made for. It's not what our bodies were made to do. The truth is that our body is useful. Our body is useful in many ways. It should be used to accomplish the good works that God has ordained for us to do. We've been prepared for good works. This is why our bodies exist, to live and breathe in this world and do the good works that God has given us to accomplish. And in that realm, the body is very good. Romans 12, verse 1 says, Offer up not just your spirits, Paul said, offer up your bodies as a living sacrifice to God. In Romans 6, we're told to offer up the members of our body. Remember the old hymn, Lord, take my life. Take my, take my hands, Lord. Take my mind. Lord, take my mouth. Take all of me and use me. This is what our bodies are for. This is not simply utilitarian. But it's true that our bodies have a use. They allow us to live in the world and to work for God. Secondly, second lie. Your body's appearance is flawed but fixable. Now, we shouldn't begrudge. Again, we're not, obviously not begrudging certain things here at all. We're not being legalistic. But the lie from the culture is always this. You are not the right size, shape, or color. You watch TV this afternoon, you're going to hear that message all the time. You're not the right size. You're not the right shape. You're not the right color. And you can and you should go to enormous effort and expense to change that. It's a lie. It's a cultural lie. The truth is, is that your body's appearance is designed by God. God, why this body? (laughs) You might ask, why this one? But as we learned last week in Psalm 139, The writer David said, God, my body is fearfully made. It's wonderfully made. It's sovereign. God, your sovereignty is expressed in the way that you made me. David said, I praise you, Lord, because I am fearfully and I am wonderfully made. 
Psalm 119.73 says, Your hands fashioned me. David delighted. He delighted in how God created him and the amazing capacities of the Bible. He saw the body as a gift from God. Not something to enslave us. Not something to obsess. Not something to discourage us. Lie number three. Your body is a source of power. Your body can be trained, toned, and preserved from all signs of age. Its level of attractiveness or strength can and should be leveraged to give you dominance over and independence from others. The truth is, is that your body has a set of limits. Today, your body has limits. It succumbs to hunger, fatigue, Exposure, injury, illness, and age. Its fragility and fleeting vigor should point you towards submission to and dependence on a strong and eternal God. The limits that we face should help us recognize how dependent we are on God. I think I probably have told you this story before. Forgive me if I'm repeating it. But when I, in conversation with my 89-year-old father whose health has been on a just slow decline, he keeps repeating this to me. I am just so aware of how dependent I am on God. Every day, I am so dependent on God. Sometimes because, you know, maybe you're still strong and vigorous and you still can get around well and your body's working fairly good, we forget really how dependent we are on God. Our body does have limits. Fourth, your body is yours. Wow, that's a pretty deep cultural lie. Your body's yours. You are its owner. You may neglect it, obsess over it, indulge it, punish it, pamper it, or alter it as you wish. Your body is yours. But many of you know the verse, don't you? 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20. Your body is not yours when you become a follower of Jesus Christ. And by the way, this is how to be set free. <laughs> we think, oh man, if I give Christ control of my life, my life's going to be wrecked. No, what will happen is, is that you'll view your body the right way and it'll set you free. You'll be free from obsessing over what others think of you. You are at stored because you were bought with the price all decisions about and behaviors towards your body must run through a filter. Does this glorify God in my body? Well, that affects a lot of things, doesn't it? That touches on a lot of different areas of life. This is what Paul said. Honor God with your body. You were bought with a price. When Christ died for you and it redeemed your life, he spent a great price to buy you. And he not only bought your spirit, he not only redeemed your soul, he also redeemed your body as well. Number five, transforming the outside will fix the inside. (laughs) There's a lot of money spent to say this to us. You know, sometimes Christians are the ones that get accused for being conformist. Can I tell you, it's not the Christians who are the conformist. (laughs) It's, it's, It's a certain perception that's out there in the culture that says you have to look, feel, think a certain way to really be happy and really be fulfilled. 
by ch- making changes to your body, you can change the condition of your heart. You can have more self-confidence, better self-esteem, and greater happiness. The truth is this. Transforming the inside will make peace with the outside. Transforming the inside will make peace with the outside. A mind being progressively transformed by the gospel rejects the worship of self and the futile pursuit of happiness. Rather, by pursuing holiness, your attitude towards your body will change as you learn to love it as a gift from God. Powerful, shaping truths that affect the way we see ourselves. Five truths, five lies and five truths regarding the way that we look at ourselves. Okay, let me just make a few comments here to close up and uh, so that we can, we can keep going here. A point that we've tried to make, and this is really important that you get this, because this will help you to see what I am saying this morning and what I'm not saying. Am I saying diet is wrong? Am I saying fitness is wrong? Am I saying being beautiful is wrong? Am I saying bodybuilding is wrong? No, on all of those accounts. They are all good things. They are all God-given desires. They're all wonderful things. But in our culture, remember how we defined an idol? Remember what an idol is? An idol is a good thing turned into an ultimate thing. When diet, when fitness, when bodybuilding, when my body image becomes the ultimate thing, when even health Even the notion of health and avoiding suffering, is that a good thing? Man, you better believe it. Absolutely, it's a good thing. Health and wellness and avoiding suffering is a very good thing. But even that is not the ultimate thing, is it? Because indeed, our bodies will break down and our bodies will die. So it can't be the ultimate thing. If it's the ultimate thing, we'll lose that in the end as well. When we turn a good thing into an ultimate thing, It creates chaos. It creates disorder. Things are out of rhythm. Things fall apart. And relationships fall apart. And what we do when we we forget that we're creatures created by God, made to bear His image, when we forget that and we seek to create an image in our minds that we think will bring us happiness... And when that image becomes our ultimate goal, particularly as it relates to body, what we do with our bodies, what we end up doing is that we end up creating a law and a standard that we can never live up to. And what's interesting is that that law and that standard, that image that we're pursuing, do you know it's a very exacting taskmaster? It will not be forgiving to you. It will not offer you the same kind of generous forgiveness that Jesus Christ offers. Sometimes the reasons that we can't experience forgiveness is not that we don't believe that God forgives us. It's that we don't forgive ourselves. And the reason that we don't forgive ourselves is because we're not really 
We're not really serving God. We're not really following God. We're not really pursuing God. What we're really pursuing is some image of ourselves that we want to live by and pursue by. And again, when our minds are set on earthly things. And when it's beauty or when it's muscularity, when these are our gods, when fitness is our God, it will be a very exacting God. It will exact a, it will exact a precious price from you and will not give you anything back in return. <laughs> That's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. It really isn't. And God is so forgiving and so generous and so gracious to us. And what we must do is is align ourselves with the way that he sees life and beauty and the body. And as we align ourselves with the way God sees life and sees beauty and sees the body, then we will find, we will find peace, we'll find harmony, we'll find rhythm, we'll find cohesion. Things will fall together for us. Things will come in place for us. Why? Because we are seeing things and we're arranging and aligning our lives with the way things really are, with the way that God has created and designed the world. Heather Davis Nelson wrote this, and it's, I think it's very well said. And I'm gonna, just going to close on this, read this, and then we'll, I'll close in prayer. She says, In pursuing worldly beauty... And again, we can match that to the the male side of it. In pursuing worldly beauty, we strive to become this elusive image. We strive to become this elusive image in place of who we really are. You and I are created in the image of God. Our purpose is to reflect His image in the world. But since the fall... We let the world inscribe its image on us. It is the very picture of sin and ultimately death. Instead of being transformed to God's image, we conform to the world's image. We are hopelessly stuck in a lifeless cycle, exchanging God for the creature as our object of worship. But God in His mercy rescues us. And this morning, if you've never experienced Christ coming to you, Christ meeting you exactly where you are, and Christ reaching out to you and extending His grace and love to you in such a way that you would experience that love and His peace would overflow into your life. This is what she's talking about. But God in His mercy rescued us. In love, God sent Jesus Christ to take on the the consequences. He sent Christ to take the consequences of our idolatrous affairs. He became sin so that we might become righteous. In Christ, God gives us freedom from sin's power and hope for its eradication, its eventual eradication in heaven. God makes you beautiful. God makes you strong with the beauty of His Son, Jesus Christ. It is in gazing at God's image in Jesus Christ that you are transformed.
Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. That is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed any longer to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Father, this morning, we have heard now your word. And I pray for my friends here this morning, that wherever they are, in their own spiritual journey, if they are not yet in relationship to you or have just begun their relationship with you, or perhaps been at it a long time, Father, I ask you that in the areas where we find that we've been enslaved, where we've been obsessed, where we've been addicted to a certain image, to a certain way of seeing ourselves, where we have been wrong and had distorted views and beliefs and images and and wrong and unholy pursuits. Father, we bring those to you this morning and we ask you for a, a spirit of deep repentance on our part. That we would acknowledge that we've believed lies. We've acted on lies. We've acted on wrong desires. We've acted on wrong pursuits. We've not understood, Father, what you meant by beauty, what you meant by strength. We've not understood what it's meant to be feminine, to be masculine. We've bought in, in so many ways, the world's distortion the world's effort to create conformity when you're a wonderfully diverse and creative God who's made us in all different shapes and sizes and colors and you delight in that diversity. Father, we admit we've often hated it. We've hated it because we've bought into lies. Father, for my friends this morning that have never tasted self-acceptance. Body awareness or body image has always, always, always been an obstacle, a, 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 a chain door to accepting who they are, to loving the body you've given them. Father, I pray that you would remove those chains this morning and set them free. You delight in and accept them as they are without looking different, without losing weight, without gaining weight, without gaining muscles or losing muscles. You love them right for who and what they are. They are made, Father, impress on them this morning. They are made in your image. Fearfully and wonderfully, you knit them together Your choices were sovereign. We don't always understand, Father, disabilities and chronic illnesses and the things that cause our body to break down. We don't understand them. But you do. Somehow, Father, you're sovereign in your choices. Redeem us from those places where the fall has affected us. And we thank you that eventually 
You will heal every disease, every illness. You will redeem not only our spirits, you will redeem our bodies as well. And it will be a blast. It will be a pleasure to you. It will be a delight to you. Our diversity, our diversity will be a delight to you. Let it be a delight to us as Christians now. Let us celebrate each other, Father, for who we are. Thank you for the spirit of grace, the spirit of healing, the spirit of wholeness that only you bring. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.